It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, the system of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. It's the end of the world as you know it, or is it? No, it's bloom time. And that's right, that's right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a potent period of persistence in a pathetic world. <laughs> I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 750 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a man with a plan, and that's to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. Absolutely. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And I'm also known as Nurse Amy. And the hostess with the mostest, so hot that it's physically impossible for her to make a snowman. <laughs> of course, I could have something to do with the fact that she lives in South Florida. That's true. We cannot make <laughs> snowmen down here. That's right. Well, together we are the watchers on the wall and we watch it all for you to find the silver lining on the storm clouds on the horizon. Friends and neighbors, mm-hmm. have you been injured in an accident? Uh-oh. With a belligerent beaver, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only, and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah. Well, can you tell I had had two cups of coffee? Sometimes? I know, you've been really <laughs> zooming. I think that is wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, listen to what she said, but what you're going to do when the rescue helicopter hits the road, when the ambulance heads in the other direction, can you be medically self-reliant if you had to be? Now, well, you know what? I bet you can, and we are here to help. So what's the message, you maniacs? We learn as much from you as you do from us. So connect with us. It's so easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. You can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can find us on Facebook at our group Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And you have a personal page, Joe, ah. Joe Alton, MD. Yeah, you can also, me. Yes, friend him. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones, 
I'm sorry, DR Bones, not and, but just DR Bones, Nurse Amy. Right. And our video cast at AroundTheCabin.com. A live chat room is available. You get to see us, and it's the first and third Wednesdays of every month. When else could you see <laughs> two prominent people like us making fools of ourselves? Oh, yeah, right. Right there on live TV. Oh, my we're, goodness. We're prominently making fools of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's more like. That's I know, more like, I know. That's what you meant to say. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, anyhow, that is, a, you know, that's a lot, buddy. But that's not all. You know, our website at doomandbloom.net's got everything you need to succeed, even if everything else fails. Don't forget to check out our articles in leading magazines like Backwoods Home, Prepare, Survivalist, uh, Survivor's Edge, American Survival Guide. Wow, Survival Quarterly. Jeez Louise, a lot. And Prepper and Shooter, I don't think you right? said. And you'll also find us in links from over a thousand great preparedness websites throughout the internet well i wanted to talk first about the motorcycle expo in denver where mm-hmm. there was a shooting apparently some kind of gang violence in which one person died and at least seven people injured in shootings and stabbings related to gang violence apparently members of various motorcycle gangs got into each other's face and started a brouhaha at the Western Complex, and the reason why it is pretty amazing to me that that happened is because we, yes. you and I, Yearly. actually every year make an appearance at the Western Complex in Denver, Colorado, mm-hmm. which indeed is normally a pretty reasonable place for us to do our self-reliance thing and our prepper thing. Sure enough, it turned out to be a major violent encounter. And so it looks like it's not just the terrorist event that could be the melee or the uh, shooting incident that you might find yourself in the middle of. It could just be people that want to kill each other. Exes, uh, scorned, people who are stalking, who knows, criminals. You just It doesn't have to be terrorist attacks. You're absolutely right. And so it makes sense that you need to protect yourself and be able to handle injuries that might occur in an emergency situation. And Nurse Amy has put together, as one of her latest projects, uh, a bleeding control kit, because we feel that it is very, very important for schoolrooms, for workplaces, for homes, homesteads, uh, just about anywhere, to have the ability to deal with an event like mm-hmm. what occurred at the Denver Motorcycle Expo or mm-hmm. an active shooter event from a deranged gunman or a terrorist <clears throat> attack. And in those circumstances, the way people are going to die is not because you don't know CPR, or you didn't give them CPR, but it is because you didn't have the equipment and the knowledge of how to stop bleeding. Hemorrhage is the reason why these people are going to die if they do. And so what you want to do is you want to have some kind of materials that would help you deal with an injured person that is bleeding heavily. And you want to have it compact. You want to have it to be, you want to have it lightweight. And you want it to have just the items that are necessary to allow you to deal with things. And in addition, what you want is you want instructions. Not only do you want instructions, you want them in plain English. You want the items numbered (coughs) in order so that you can 
know what the next thing is that you should be using. And Amy has put all that together. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about your kit? Well, exactly for the reasons that you have stated, is that you can be in any kind of situation. It doesn't matter whether you're just going to the grocery store or the gas station, uh, shopping at the mall, that you could be put into situations that uh, were unexpected. So we wanted something for the layperson, someone who hasn't been to medical school or nursing school. They're not a paramedic. Um, maybe they weren't trained in the military to be a medic or have a lot of first aid training. And so it had to be, first of all, easy to carry around. We put it in a very, I think, compact six by nine, bright red Mylar bag. Now, the reason it's bright red is because that signifies to most people that there's emergency or medical Inf um, sure. items inside of it. Absolutely. Uh, the label has a big red cross. It's not a solid red cross because that's trademarked, but it's a, a red cross. It has first aid in big, bold red letters, and it says first aid bleeding control kit. So it's, it's very obvious to anyone who sees this, who pulls it out, that this is what they're going to be using in case someone is bleeding. Now, you have talked about active shooters. Mm -hmm. You've talked about making sure that you're safe before right. you administer any kind of first right. aid. Right. You know, that's the first thing that you need to be you need to do is to make sure that you are personally not in danger. If you're in the line of fire, you need to, I hate to say this and it's going to be against your uh, your personal feelings, but you have to hit the road and you have to leave the wounded. Even law enforcement will not stop to treat the wounded until the threat is completely neutralized. So that's one thing. You have to make sure you're not in danger. You have to make sure the threats are abolished before you actually help somebody. But let's say that you know that you... Everything's safe. That the, the gunman has moved on to his next victim or in the other direction. Exactly. <laughs> and there's somebody bleeding heavily. So what do you have? Okay, well, inside of the kit, which, again, is very easily recognizable as a first aid bleeding control kit, we have gloves. The first thing you're going to want to do, oh, by the way, the package is heat sealed, and there are two notches on either side of the top. Very, very easy to open. We don't want you to have to think about anything. We don't want you to have to hesitate or use your teeth to rip this open. It will open up with the slightest pressure okay probably children can't open it but once you're past i'd say you know teenage years or in your teenage years you have a little bit of strength you can open this uh so what we have in it is gloves you're going to come upon the gloves i recommend dumping the items out okay everything is packaged uh even the gloves and the scissors are inside of a clear plastic bag so that when you dump them out, everything is not just on the floor, on the ground. They are protected. They're not going to get dirty. Not that you care about dirt right now. You're trying to save someone's life. Open up the bag numbered number one. We have made this foolproof. You cannot make an error if you know how to count. Not only if you know how to count can you follow these directions, but the instructions that are inside of this bag which will come out when you pour it out are 
large, large font. They have a picture on the left side of the text with the first step that shows you what items you're going to be using for that step. On the right side of the text is a picture showing you what you're going to be doing. So even if you can't read, maybe you're you're tearing up a little bit. Maybe you don't have your reading glasses. Maybe you, you can, don't speak English. Maybe you don't <laughs> speak English. You can see the item to use on the left and the action on the right. So the picture on the left shows the gloves, which are, by the way, black nitrile, which means they are not going to cause an allergy in people who have latex. Right. If you know brand names, you'll know Venom. Venom gloves are, a, are the, what we it's use. It's a nice, thick glove. Mm-hmm. You're going to be less likely to rip it or tear it. Um, it's going to give you a lot of protection. And there are two pairs in there, by the way, not just one. There's also a excellent pair of shears. They are not EMT shears, which usually have a plastic handle and a really bad rivet. Um, where the blades are, but they're actually a good, steady, heavy pair of stainless steel bandage scissors. Now, they're seven and a half inches long, so that means you can really get up into a pair of pants or a shirt, and you can cut off the clothing, which is your first action. You put the gloves on, you get the scissors out, the bag that has the scissors and the gloves in them has a giant circle label that says number one. Pound sign, number one. You okay? cut, and you cut away the clothing <clears throat> with the scissors. Absolutely. So that you can fully expose the wound. That's Absolutely. very important. Cut above and below. If you can get the clothing off at least two, three, or four inches above the wound, that's going to be ideal because you're going to need to place a tourniquet. So you need to expose the wound. If you, again, quickly can remove the clothing, that's excellent. If you can at least cut above and below the wound area so you can see skin because you're going to, again, be placing that tourniquet. So you've cut the clothing, you've exposed the wound. And one thing I wanted to say before we go much further about the instruction sheet itself is that it's completely waterproof. Yes. Tell tell them what you did to check that out. It is amazing. Well, I found waterproof paper, which is actually produced by Wright in the rain and that's r-i-t-e excellent paper they have a couple different brands uh one of them you have to have a laser printer this one you just need in an inkjet so i tested out a set of instructions which like i said have the text the steps the pictures all of them and i put it under water i put it in my sink i turned the water on and i was shocked that it wasn't running, so I shut the water off. I went and got my camera, set up a shot, turned the water back on. Now, this these instructions have been already sitting in the water for a few minutes because yeah. it took me a while to set my camera up. And I turned the water back on and took a picture of them. Those exact instructions that were sitting in the water, I took out, I laid them on the bathtub and let them dry and they are in my hand and you hear this yeah this is paper there is not a single letter 
or Ima image images that's are clear, smear, right? Smeared. Images are clear. Unbelievable. And, and this is not I'm only so good. Shocked. I know this is not only good for boaters, <clears throat> but of course anybody with a, a heavy bleeding, you might get if you got blood on regular paper, it would smear it. It would smear it. If you it might was not raining, see it. if it's you're raining outdoors, right? There's so many, so many different things. So I just wanted to mention that about the instructions. Unbelievable. Pretty darn impressive. I really, uh, I really impressed me. Thank you. Uh, it took me quite a a few days to put this together. I took um, almost all of the images. Uh, two images are off of this, the SWAT T website. I'll Otherwise, tell. I took the pictures. All right, so after you put your gloves on, after you've gotten your scissors, uh, the next item that's in the kit is um, an item called compressed gauze. Now, the size of the gauze... The size of the gauze... You have the package in your hand. Right, now, well, I want to say that the size of the gauze that's in the bag... In when it's packaged and vacuum packed, I mean this thing it looks a quarter of an like, inch wide, like a tiny little Maybe sponge, at, basically between a quarter and a half inch like, wide. Right, I'd say it's a half inch wide and about three inches or four in, is, is it four inches? I think four it's four inches, inches long. Four inches long. When you take it out, you can fluff <clears throat> it and it becomes <clears throat> twelve feet. Twelve feet more than that. Four point one yards long. Unbelievable. And four point five inches wide yep. so you have a lot of gauze in a very compact <laughs> and lightweight unbelievable uh, it's and crazy so you're going to open the gauze you're going to unravel this gauze and you're going to press this firmly into the bleeding wound now on the instruction sheet it's very important do not lift the gauze you are not going to peek folks i know it's curiosity killed the cat and that is true in this situation your curiosity could kill your patient. Don't lift the gauze. We are not going to look and see if that bleeding, hemorrhaging wound is still bleeding and hemorrhaging. You're going to press firmly. You're going to take both your hands and throw your body over your arms and hands and push into the wound if possible. Hold firmly, firmly, firmly. If the gauze soaks with blood to the top, that is your indication the bleeding is probably not stopped. Do not lift that gauze up. You're going to go on to the next step. Now, if it doesn't completely soak the gauze and begin to ooze around, you can go ahead and skip to number six, which we'll discuss in a second. So you don't have to put the tourniquet on. But the next step, now since you've exposed the wound, you've attempted to put pressure on it, most bleeding that's not severe not arterial should stop with your pressure okay but if it doesn't but if it doesn't then you're going on to stretch wrap and tuck a tourniquet now this tourniquet is very special it's called SWAT and those letters stand for S stretch W wrap T well and is an A and T is tuck so the the name of the tourniquet is the instructions for use Exactly. So it's very simple. And not only that, but the tourniquet itself. Imagine an elastic wrap that is the size of an ace bandage. It is bright orange. It has got the instructions printed all over it. So every 12 inches or so, you see the words stretch, wrap, and tuck. So even after you've opened the package, even if you're not looking at my brightly colored, full color image 
of how you put this on, you can see on the tourniquet itself as you're wrapping around what you are supposed to be doing. Again, we want this foolproof. Why this tourniquet? First of all, it's easy to use. The instructions are on it, all over it. And it can be used with people who have thin arms. You may be saving the life of a child. You may be saving the life of someone who's very, very thin. You may be saving the life of an elderly person who has wasted away their muscle mass and is basically just skin and bones. There are people out there like this who are frail. (laughs) Not you. I'm old, but I'm not frail. (laughs) Um, A lot of the tourniquets out there are military-based, and and those are military-oriented, and those are great, fantastic, and we've talked about those tourniquets before, but those are generally used on people who are in really good physical shape, which means they have muscle mass. They're, they don't have an inch, a, a few inches of diameter of their arms. They have several inches of diameter of their arms and legs, so we're talking about a different type of person. This can even be used on pets, folks, by the way. Um, it can be used as a pressure dressing. And right. The fact that you could use it on, <coughs> on pets, I think, Excuse me. makes it very versatile. And the fact that you can make it a just a compression dressing right? And, and just or just a cover. But you don't need it in this situation because you do have a compression dressing in this kit. So we just wanted to talk a little bit about why this item is in here. Because I know some of you out there are going to say... Well, why isn't there a cat tourniquet? Why isn't there a soft tea tourniquet? Don't forget that we have articles on SWAT tourniquet, tea tourniquets, and choosing a tourniquet on the website at doomandbloom.net, and it has links to uh, the site where you can find research that the military has performed and uh, articles in military medicine. Okay, so you'll be following the directions for the SWAT tourniquet. Then you'll move on to the next one. We have another product called Celox EMS. We have talked about Celox in the past. It's what's called a hemostatic agent. And that, in plain English, means it's going to stop bleeding. Now, this Celox is embedded into a pad, a 4 by 4 which means 4 inches by 4 inches. There are two of these pads in the package. Again, the package is very easy to open. It's clearly marked what it is. It has the number four on it because now we're down to number four. The SWAT tourniquet was number three. So number four, you're going to open that up. It tells you what to do. You've got a picture of the item. On the right side, you've got a picture of what to do. And basically, you're going to be pushing that into the wound firmly for three minutes. Then you move on. Number five, we have a roller gauze. It is a six-inch sterile-packed roller gauze with a giant number five on the front of it. You're going to unroll that. You're going to pack it into the wound over the sea locks. Don't remove the sea locks. Pack all of that roller gauze in there. We're going to be adding firm pressure with that gauze as you're packing it in. Number six, you're going to open up a mini compression bandage. This is like an Israeli bandage, but it's in a smaller vacuum packed package very easy to follow not complicated easy to open easy to get to you're going to open up the package and you're going to wrap this mini compression bandage tightly over and on top of that roller gauze 
This reminds me of an ace bandage. If you know how to wrap an ace bandage round and round, you don't have to go up and down so much. This is putting pressure directly over the gauze. This is not an extremely long compression bandage, so you won't have a lot to go very far over and above the wound. It will secure with a clip. It's a plastic clip. It has little teeth on it. It will hold on to some of that wrapping that you have put on. Okay, it will just clip onto the side of it. Next thing you're going to open is the number seven stuck onto an emergency Mylar blanket, which is in a small package but becomes a very large package. All right, seven feet by four and a half feet. Unbelievable, yep. And this is used to cover the patient, people that are losing blood or, or have had a bleed or losing heat as well and you have to cover them up and keep them warm raise their legs 12 inches above the heart so that's that's something that's very important in addition we also have uh, a plastic bag and some tape for an improvised chest seal now of course our gunshot kit has an actual commercially made vented chest seal needle decompression um, soft tea tourniquets all you know a lot of advanced stuff this is meant for the, this kit here, the, the first aid bleeding control kit is meant for the average person to be able to deal with things quickly, Easily. just at first glance, and to stop the bleeding. It's probably best for situations in which there is medical help that is on the way. It's just not here yet. Remember, bleeding, major bleeding can become life-threatening in seconds, even when the ambulance is just minutes away. I just want to mention also that there is a back label on this bright red Mylar bag, and it too has the exact steps that we just mentioned. Now, they're not on a two-sided 8.5 by 11-inch waterproof paper, but they are on the back of the package. So when you get your package, you can read what you're going to be doing with the items inside. So you understand. So it gives you an idea of if you have to use it, what are you going to be doing? So I think that is wonderful because people can kind of study. All right, what's in here and how would I use this? Very good. So anyhow, that's the first aid bleeding control kit. You can find it at Nurse Amy's store at store.doomandbloom.net along with her entire line of medical kits. Something to look at and fill those holes in your medical supplies by checking some of them out. I think you'll be impressed. Thank you. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about our schedule. Oh, wow. What are we doing in, in Valentine's the next Day few weeks? Valentine's Day weekend, we are going to be just up the road in DeLand, Florida at the Survive Expo. And it is going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to get a lot of Floridians out there to get prepared. I know a lot of you folks out there say, you're in Florida. That's not a place to be a prepper, but you would be really surprised at how many people in Florida. There are a lot. Yeah. And you guys have to remember, we get hurricanes. Not so often anymore. Knock on wood. It's been 10 years, yeah. Knock on wood. Uh, but, you know, we're kind of taught it, hurricane season starts. They put up a list inside the grocery store and they say, you should have this. So we're all kind of used to this. And then, of course, there are many, many, many folks in Florida who have taken it much, much further, who are really, really prepared, who have, you know, all the essentials. And the great thing about being Florida folks is we've got unlimited water, we've got fish, we've got the ocean and the Everglades, 
and we can farm and grow food pretty much year round. We can grow something. And we're not going to get scurvy because we have citrus. That's, that's right. <laughs> and we have sugar cane, so our coffee will be sweet when we grow our coffee beans. Right. Now at the Prepare to Survive Expo in DeLand, Florida, that is February 14th and 15th, we are going to be doing a suture class and giving, and give, a, that's a hands-on class that you can sign up for. Uh, we'll also be giving lectures at, at this, cl- at this uh, show, and we are excited to be able to meet some of our fellow Floridians. Absolutely. Now, to sign up for this suture class, that is Sunday morning. We're giving it on Valentine's Day. It will be found on our medical classes page on our website, doomandbloom.net. Just click on the medical classes page. It's the first one on the top. There's a PayPal link if you've decided that you can give three hours of your time to learn something awesome. There's a PayPal link. Now, we have a limited number of spots. And so if you're interested, I uh, suggest that you go ahead and get signed up as soon as possible. That's a good idea. You're also going to receive uh, oh, instruments. Free stuff. We're going to be actually teaching you how to suture a pig's foot and you're going to have to do it right because i'm going to try to personally <laughs> take apart your wound closure so he's tough guys i am indeed tough you also get a dvd and uh, you get the instruments to keep and you get some spare sutures to practice on now the dvd let me just tell you a little bit about it has all of the slides that you're going to be seeing during the presentation which is really great because you get to take the class home with you You don't have to feverishly take notes. You can listen, pay attention, do the hands-on portion, and then when you get home, you've got the whole class for yourself to review. Then we have uh, Belton, Texas. We're going to be both in Belton, Texas and Waco, Texas. Well, you're going to be in Waco. I'm going to be in Belton. I'm going to be at the Mother Earth News Fair event. This is a lot of fun. It's very much homesteading. So if you're into homesteading and you want to learn beekeeping or um, oh, yeah, taking awesome care of place, chickens, yeah. mm-hmm. gardening, big big and gardening, uh, this is the place to go. I will be there. And uh, you, Dr. Bones, are going to be at Guns and Gals in Waco, Texas. Texas. On the same weekend. Yeah, it's going to be a busy, <laughs> it's gonna be be fun. A busy weekend, but a lot of fun. He's so. going to drop me off at the Mother Earth News Fair, and then and he's we'll going to drive to Waco. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Hey, you know what? Oh, and that is the weekend of the 20th and 21st. 21st of February. Yes. You know, one of the scenarios that we write about is the pandemic. Now, although we've had success curing a lot of illnesses and with antibiotics, we're still struggling with outbreaks of viral illness. In 2014, of course, thousands died in West Africa during the Ebola epidemic. In 2015, the chikungunya virus, claws, which we've talked about a number of times, crossed the Atlantic into the Western Hemisphere and infected up to, they think, 2 million people. And this year, the latest pandemic is the Zika virus, Z-I-K-A. And it's the first to generate travel warnings from the CDC that are specifically for women that are pregnant. Now, a little-known virus of equatorial Africa and Asia, the Zika virus has jumped upon is wreaking havoc in South America and now in every country in the Western Hemisphere except for Canada and Chile. Now... It affects, in and of itself, the Zika virus is a mild flu-like illness. However, if you get it when you're pregnant at a certain point in the pregnancy, 
it will affect your newborn or it might affect your newborn. Now that's very important because it's it's a concern. Some people get little or no symptoms. Some women get no symptoms whatsoever and that's bad because you don't even know when you could possibly be infected. Now, like uh, chikungunya, like uh, Ebola, uh, uh, like yellow fever, a lot of other viruses that became epidemics in the South in South America, tropical America, the Zika virus is a mosquito-borne virus. That means you get it from being bitten by a mosquito that happens to have the virus in it. And since it's new on this side of the pond, uh, having been first identified in May of 2015, May of last year, they're citizens of the United States, of the you know, well, certainly United States, but of the Americas in general, have little immunity against it. And the main issue is that if you're pregnant, when you get it, and it happens during a, a point of uh, brain development, maybe 18, 20, uh, 20 weeks or, or, or less, it can yield a newborn with brain damage. And that particular brain damage is called microcephaly. Microcephaly presents as an abnormally small cranium and therefore an abnormally small brain. And it is associated with major mental handicaps, sometimes other types of physical deformities as well. It is a major problem that usually will require lifelong care. Sometimes they these infants do not survive, but many times they do. Most times they do. And so this is, this is the thing. Now, the Zika virus has been isolated in some of these infants that did not survive. And in Brazil, especially, it has become a major problem. Normally, a big country like Brazil only gets 150 cases of microcephaly in newborns on a yearly basis. And this year, or uh, since uh, 2015, mid-2015, it has gotten more than 4,000. And uh, some estimates are that it could affect up to 100,000 infants. That is an incredibly taxing thing for a country like Brazil, which has its own financial problems or other countries nearby that are underdeveloped to be able to handle. This is a big problem. Now cases of the virus are being reported in the U.S. But there's one in Hawaii, there's one in Arkansas, Virginia, other places. Most of these are in traveling uh, travelers from South America. And it's a problem. Now, what is Zika virus? Zika virus is a member of the flavivirus family. Uh, uh, same family as the chikungunya virus from last year. Also West Nile virus, which is a mosquito-borne virus you may have heard of. Yellow fever from when the building of the Panama Canal, you may have heard of that one. Uh, it's carried by the Aedes aegyptus and the Aedes albopictus, which is basically the main mosquitoes that will carry this. Uh, the albopictus is also known as the Asian tiger mosquito. Actually, as the mosquitoes go, actually pretty. It's got little white dots or stripes on it. And these are the main agent of transmission. It's possible the human-to-human transmission can occur, especially sexually. They have a couple of cases. They think that's the case. Now, unlike any of these other viruses, any of these other viruses we just mentioned, the Zika virus affects the newborn, and that's a big issue. There's no vaccine, no treatment available that's effective against Zika virus. However, prevention is pretty simple. Don't travel to the countries where widespread outbreaks are occurring. 
And if you have to go, use long pants and sleeves, mosquito repellent, uh, some people say sunscreen too, netting. Beware of areas that have lots of standing water. That's where mosquitoes breed. And know that there are mosquito controls, uh, control efforts that are underway in a lot of these countries. And they use, a lot of them are using the usual pesticides, but there's actually genetically modified organisms that are playing a part. There is a company called Oxitec, and they have produced genetically engineered a male Franken mosquito, like a Frankenstein mosquito, called OX513A. This mosquito has a gene that kills his offspring. Basically, they don't survive. So, and that's pretty good because female mosquitoes only mate once during their lives, so it might have a significant effect. Brazil claims that there's more of a 90%, more than a 90% decrease in the population of mosquitoes since they've released OX513. It was also used in the Florida Keys in 2012, over a lot of protests, I might add to combat an outbreak of dengue fever, which is also another flavivirus. Now, no word yet on the long-term effects on the environment or the ecology of the areas where it's being used. This is something that I have concerns about and that we do need to uh, keep an eye on and possibly have to address. So, the main thing that I am wanted to mentioned that maybe you have i mean you could read a lot of this stuff in the local news articles when you go online or when you pick up the newspaper however there's one thing that hasn't been mentioned that i'm a little bit concerned about you know and why is the disease that does not seem to cause it this this is interesting that zika virus does not seem to cause birth defects in its original territory in africa and asia So why is it suddenly causing these heartbreaking deformities in the new world? I mean, it's an equatorial disease. It's spread by mosquitoes. These conditions are present in in Africa and Asia as well as Brazil. So why isn't it causing congenital anomalies or birth defects in in all of these areas? Why does it have so different a presentation in one part of the world than another? Well, it's my opinion that we're dealing with a viral mutation here. The viruses are well known for their ability to genetically change, and these changes are called mutations. They could be insignificant, or they could have really major consequences. Luckily, most are insignificant, and this is the reason why influenza viruses, vaccines are used to prevent illness. Because this year's flu is similar to last year's, Flu vaccines made, uh, are also made from components of last year's virus, so that's why they work, because the two viruses are similar from year to year. Now, if an influenza virus mutates significantly, it usually causes many more cases and often deaths because we are less immune to it. So if it makes a major shift genetically, then it becomes a very dangerous disease. It might have been why the Spanish flu was so devastating uh, 100 years ago. Imagine if Ebola which caused uh, the West African epidemic in 2014, had mutated to become easily transmissible through the air. Instead of just through body fluids, well, it would have been more challenging to control, right? It could have reached pandemic status. Now, I still see nothing in the news that mentions the possibility that the virus is mutated, but if we're going to have success in producing treatment or prevention of Zika virus... We're going to have to take into account that this Zika virus may not be the same as 
the original. Hey, you know, I want to spend just a second thanking all the great networks to carry our show, the Prepper Broadcasting Network, G-Man's Network, awesome, and also associated with the American Preppers Network. We also have Survival Central Radio, we have the USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, and we have Shake and Wake Radio. So thanks, guys. We really appreciate you having us on your network and playing our shows, and make sure you check out their great lineups of guests and hosts. Let's just take a second to catch our breath, and you're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Joe Alden, MD of www.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 600 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness. Along with my wife, nurse practitioner Amy Alden, we're the authors of the Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, with over 200 five-star reviews. A disaster can strike at any time, and the ambulance may not always be heading in your direction. We've got an entire line of medical kits, supplies, and educational resources that can help you deal with injuries and illness in everything from a wilderness hike to the aftermath of a major disaster. Check them out at our shop at store.doomandbloom.net. In a disaster, you'll be glad you did. And we're back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, Joe Alton, MD, and Amy Alton, ARNP. Now, last week we talked a lot about essential oils, a little bit generally about natural medicines and alternative remedies in general. So I think that we want to do a little bit more on that. And the reason what we how we got into that is we asked our Facebook group, which I hope you'll join, called Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, exactly what they wanted us to talk about. We got about eight different topics that they thought were interesting. We had them vote, and we promised to do podcasts and videos and and articles about these particular, uh, the particular topic that won, and the topic that won was top natural remedies. So we talked about essential oils, certainly, Those are some of the top natural remedies that you can accumulate and stockpile in times of trouble that wouldn't be easy to put together. But I wanted to talk a little bit about things that would be relatively easy to put together and if you wanted to have some kind of herbal or herbal remedy or natural remedy that could work if the pharmaceuticals run out. And herbal teas are actually one of the things that might just be up your alley. Now, I'd like to say that the term tea is actually incorrect. There is no such thing as an herbal tea. That A tea is actually something that refers to various drinks made from the leaves of exactly one species of one plant. One plant. Camellia sinensis. And, Which is uh, the tea plant. Right. And green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong teas, all those teas are made from the same plant, just the processing of it differs. Now, the proper term for a drink made by steeping herbs in hot water is actually an herbal infusion, or some people call it a tisane, T-I-S-A-N-E. But or, or they use the term herbal teas commonly. Right. It for just, simplicity's sake, simplicity. let's call them that. Why right. don't we call them exactly. that? Exactly. Now, standard teas uh, from Camellia sinensis, uh, like green, black, oolong, and white, they're high in o- antioxidants. are actually really good for you. They have many health benefits that might include heart disease, type 2 diabetes, liver dysfunction, you never know, a bunch of different things. And 
they're just one type of herbal infusion or one type of infusion that you can make. The other infusions relate to just about every any herb that you can possibly think of. And making a tea is one of the simplest way ways that you can prepare these. If you can boil water, you can brew tea. You just bring some water to a roiling boil in a pot or other container. You crush some herbal leaves or flowers. These could be dried. Sometimes they could be fresh. Some They're easy to deal with when they're easier to deal with, I think, when they're dried. But you may not be able to wait and may have to use fresh. Now, the more ar aromatic herbs are, the more potent they usually are. You would pour the boiled water over a teaspoon of, well, usually a teaspoon, it varies based on the herb of dried herbs. Let them steep for about five or ten minutes. Keep a cover on while they're steeping, by the way. And you may need to actually use a strainer over a cup and pour it so that you don't wind up eating all these dried leaves. And, of course, honey, lemon to add flavor. And some of these teas are just not that tasty some of them are great and some of them are wonderful by themselves but some of them just need a little bit of honey a little bit of lemon remember how honey raw unprocessed honey is so useful for a lot of different medical reasons and also keeps very well too if you store it well uh, or even maybe if you don't i mean they found egyptian tombs where they have honey that they were able to uh, find and actually realize that it was edible now, there are a lot of herbs that can be made into a tea, and I don't have completely hard scientific data on every single one of them because, of course, it's very hard to standardize these teas and their effects, but there are, the, there are teas that have been made by your ancestors for their medicinal benefits for generations, and we're going to talk about some of them. Now, alfalfa tea is a good start, the seeds and leaves of alfalfa contain vitamin A, C, E, K, uh, they have calcium, phosphorus, iron, potassium, all sorts of great stuff. It's been used as a diuretic to help urine flow. It also helps upset stomachs. Some people claim that it helps uh, arthritis pain. The leaves, sprouts, and seeds can be used in making the tea. There's lemon balm. Lemon balm is an herb that has possibly antiviral effects. Member of the mint family. A tea from lemon balm leaves and flowers can be used to treat mouth, throat, dental infections like uh, gingivitis, like herpes sores. It's also thought to be something that will aid sleep or decrease anxiety. It might be helpful. Some people uh, use it to improve intestinal spasms, nausea, and what you would use here, as in a lot of different herbs you would use a teaspoon of dried herb or maybe five to six fresh leaves to one cup of boiling water makes a fine tea there's burdock burdock uh, is one of those teas that you use the root of and the, it helps clear acne and treat psoriasis it's all right it's interesting in that it has uh, some dermatological uses now you would want two tablespoons of fresh grated root or one tablespoon of well-dried root and about three cups of boiling water and that's how you would use that. Uh, chamomile tea, that's of course a favorite tea of many. It contains tryptophan, gives it a sedative and relaxing effect. So it might help with anxious people or people that are having trouble sleeping. Insomnia uh, suffers. Uh, antioxidants in chamomile uh, may hold, uh, slow down the progression of visual and other nerve damage in diabetics. 
Now, in this case, you would use about two to three teaspoons of the flowers this time, the dried flowers per cup. Now, let's see what else. I've got a huge list of these, so I'm trying to find some that I think are especially interesting. Echinacea, of course. People are, know that echinacea is well known to decrease the duration of colds and flus. It boosts the immune system. may may have antiviral activity. You want one or two teaspoons of leaf and flour, or you might use a half a teaspoon of root to a cup of boiling water. Now, elderberry flowers make a tea that's used for a lot of upper respiratory infections. Uh, also, sinusitis, pretty useful for that. If you use it in a compress, elderflower tea can be helpful for wound healing, maybe some skin conditions. Now, of course, the berries, uh, here's another part of the plant. The dark berries are high in antioxidants. They can be made into a, a juice or even a syrup. Now, to make a syrup is different than making a tea. You just need... Uh, a cup of water, usually a, t- a teaspoon of dried herb, but to make syrup, you want to have a lot of elderberries, a couple of pounds of elderberries, four cups of water, bring that to a boil, and then just simmer for a period of time. You're going to have to use a, a strainer to press out the juice, and I think a little extra sugar put into it under medium heat or perhaps honey can help make it a syrup it sort of becomes a reduction in which you wind up having a syrup and that is something that you might find i think i think that is something that they used to use in the old days pretty commonly for people with colds and flus and respiratory infections now eucalyptus tea is something else that's very helpful we've talked about eucalyptus in the past in terms of inhalation therapy steam inhalation things like that but even tea made from eucalyptus leaves can offer you some relief from respiratory infections and possibly asthma as well because it loosens thick mucus and helps open airways. This is why I'm trying to grow eucalyptus. Yeah, there you go. And Stop this coughing and my asthma. Right. That's right. And also sorry, folks. have a food supply for your koala bear. Yeah. My koala bear. Yes, aw, are you going to get me a pet koala bear for I, Valentine's Day? Yes, I actually... <laughs> I think it would be actually, very cuddly and wonderful. Actually, Remind you of me. I know. Actually, what you're going to get me is a bunch of uh, dead pig's feet. Yes. <laughs> for I'm, our class. Yeah, for our class. In right. Deland, Florida. <laughs> there you go. Um, Happy Valentine's Day to me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, uh, let's see. Eucalyptus, uh, you need a half a teaspoon of dried or fresh leaves in a one to two cups of water. Now, of course, every one of everybody's favorites, ginger tea. Now, that uses even another part of the plant. The underground stems, these are called rhizomes of ginger, used to treat nausea, pretty much all types, morning sickness, motion sickness, you know, any nausea, vomiting, it definitely is something that will help. Now, with ginger, you want to slice about an inch of the rhizome into small pieces, simmer it into a couple of cups of water on low heat for about 15 minutes, strain it about... Uh, of course, it comes in a powder also. If you happen to have powder, ginger powder, you can use a quarter or half a teaspoon of that. But I'm trying to talk about things that you can use right from the ground, right from the plant itself, and see how you can use that. Uh, ginseng tea is another option. American uh, or Asian ginseng root can be made into herbal teas. It might lower blood sugar levels, might be a, a benefit for those with diabetes. For that, you would need the root, ginseng root, of course, three to six teaspoons of the root for 45 minutes and three or four cups of water will do, then strain it. 
And the last one I'm going to mention this time around is lavender, used in aromatherapy mostly. It's a perfectly reasonable option as a tea as well. It might improve nausea, other digestive symptoms. When you drink it as a tea, it might decrease migraine headaches. Some people say that. Some people have even considered it something that might work as an antispasmodic and even possibly an anticonvulsant. It has a lot of declared benefits. Of course, some of this lacks hard scientific data, but it's there, something that might be useful. So use about a tablespoon of dried herb and one cup of water for lavender tea, and I think that you'll be very happy. You know what? We are out of time for this week. I want to thank everybody for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones, Joe Alton, MD, and the lovely, beautiful, wonderful Nurse Amy. Bye-bye.